give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they drop trouble upon me and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempests. But I call to you, O God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan. And he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage. For many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them. He who is enthroned from from of old, because they do not change and do not fear God. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. That's from Psalm 55, and I'm going to be honest with you. This is the third time I've recorded this podcast. I recorded it earlier in the week, and then I got a text from a friend yesterday that so impacted me that I wanted to come back here this morning And not necessarily change what I had to say, but come at it from a different perspective. Because the the text that I received yesterday was from a good friend, and she asked me to pray for her. And she said to me, she said, I'm a little overwhelmed, a little tired, a little anxious, and a little too weak. And you know, she wasn't the only friend this week. I had another friend who said in different words, but the same thing, I'm tired. The battle is hard. And she just cried and cried. It's been a tough week. And I know that so many of you within the hearing of my voice are weary. And so I came back this morning and I re-recorded the same podcast again, but addressing it to the weary soul. And then I forgot to hit record. (laughs) So this is number three. We're going to try again. And I pray. I pray. That the God of all creation would hear my voice and would take all of these thoughts of mine that are just 
coming at me from different directions in my mind because there's so much I want to say and there's so many ways I want to encourage. So I pray, oh God, would you give me the word to sustain the weary? Would you take up these jumbled notes and put them in order that they may encourage your people? God, would you do this, I pray. When we left off last time, we were looking at the life of Moses But more than anything, we were looking at the king of glory. And I would say that this is really supposed to be part two of that podcast. Who is the king of glory? Last time we saw that this king of glory, he rules over all and that his purposes shall stand. We looked at that in the life of Moses. We went back to Genesis and we saw that God had promised to Abraham that his people were going to be enslaved and they would be enslaved for 400 years. And then he was going to act and he was going to do something. And we saw him raise up Moses out of the most impossible situation to raise up that he was trained in the way of the, of the people of Egypt because God was going to make him into a leader to lead his people out of slavery. So last week, we, we asked the question, who is the king of glory? And we saw this king of glory, his purposes shall stand no matter what. No matter what, he rules over all. And when we left last week, we saw that this man, Moses, was incredible. Even before he ever saw the burning bush, before the parting of the Red Sea, before any of that stuff that we, that we remember about this man, Moses, before any of that happened, He was already a man of faith. He was already willing to leave all of the treasures of the kingdom of Israel, of the kingdom of Egypt behind, though he had it all, because he was looking forward to a a reward, and that reward was Christ. And this was the man, Moses, before he ever encountered God at the burning bush. He left the land of Egypt by faith. The book of Hebrews says, he left the land of Egypt by faith. And that is where he was for 40 years. And we don't really know a lot of what happened with this man, Moses, during that time. The only thing that we know is that he met a woman who was coming to water her flocks, he met this woman and she took him back to her father. 
And this man, his name was Jethro, was a priest of Midian, and he gave Moses one of his daughters named Zipporah, and Moses married her and, and began a family. That's really all we know for 40 years. But if you'll look with me, we're going to turn back into Exodus 2, verse 23. I want to point out a couple things. It says, during those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. God saw the people of Israel and he knew. It says during those many days, see, during those many days, for 40 years, Moses is out in the wilderness tending the flocks of his father-in-law for 40 years. But for 400 years, the people of Israel have been enslaved. And don't you know, they are weary. And in the midst of their slavery, I love this verse. And I was, as I was meditating and thinking on these verses, This week, what struck me was the verbs. Look with me again. The people of Israel groaned. They groaned. Doesn't that just create a picture? The slavery was hard. And they're groaning out before God. They groaned and they cried. They cried for rescue. Doesn't that just create a picture that so oftentimes we can relate to? When the, when the road gets heavy and long, we just groan before God and we just cry out to him for rescue. That is where we find the people of Israel. They're groaning and they're crying. But look with me at the verbs of God. It said God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant. God saw his people and God knew. God heard, remembered, saw, and he knew. And if you remember back, we've talked about that verb to know so many times because it, it, it means that he was intimately acquainted with their groaning. He was intimately acquainted with their slavery and he heard and he saw and he knew. And I wanted to encourage you. I wanted to say, 
Mark this in your Bible. Because the people had been enslaved for 400 years. And sometimes on the weary road, we just don't know where God is anymore. But mark it here. When you're groaning and when you're crying out for rescue, God hears, God remembers, God sees, and God knows. And he is about to act. I remember years ago when I was at Biola, I was just in the same place where I just was groaning and crying out before God. And I remember this one day, I just, I really, I held up my Bible and I shook it at heaven. And I said, God, I need you today. I need to hear from you today. Would you speak? Because it feels like you aren't even real and you don't hear me when I cry because I've been crying out for so long. Oh God, would you speak to me today? I'll never forget because I was, I was going to chapel that morning at Biola. And I walked in that morning and there was an announcement that the man who was supposed to come and preach had canceled. And at the last moment, they had gotten another man to come. And I thought to myself, okay, God, it's just you and me here. What are you sending him to say? And I'll never forget it because it was a lesson that I learned back then, and it's a lesson that I still remember and put into effect today. Because he preached on the time when the disciples were in the boat and a storm came up and the water was raging and the boat felt like it was going to be overturned and the disciples were looking around and they had no idea where Jesus was. Now he had just fed the 5,000 and he had sent his disciples on ahead of him to go on ahead and I'll meet you on the other side. And he had gone up on a mountainside to pray. But while the disciples were crossing the Galilee, a storm arose and they thought they were gonna die. And Jesus was nowhere in sight. And I looked and I thought, but God, that's where I am. I feel like I'm in the boat and I don't know what to do. And I've been crying out for so long. What do you have? What will you say to me today? And the preacher looked out into the crowd and said, when you're in that boat, and you don't know where Jesus is, let me tell you what to do. Keep rowing. Keep rowing. They did not know that Jesus was about to come walking on the water. And they did not know that this man could command the water and command the wind to be still. Keep rowing. And the Israelites 
for 400 years, they've been enslaved. And it feels like God is never going to come and set them free. But listen, he is about to make himself glorious. Moses has been in the wilderness for 40 years. And can you just imagine, here he is, he grew up in the land of Egypt. He knew the promises of God. By faith, he left Egypt, but now he's in the wilderness and he's been there for 40 years. But I just want to remind you today that you never know what God is going to do in a day. Because Moses woke up just like he did every other day. But this day would change everything. This day, when he got the flocks out and was leading them through the wilderness, this day is the day God was going to show up and God was going to do something. Let's look into the story. Let's pick up in chapter 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush. Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then God said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. I love this story. I love this story because for 40 years, day after day after day, nothing had changed. He had left Egypt with his eyes set on Christ and the promise that a Messiah would come. But day after day, day after day, life had not changed in the wilderness. But God. You never know when God is going to show up. And he said, Moses, Moses, take off your sandals for you are standing on holy ground. And you know, he came to him and he said, Moses, you know, I'm going to send you back. I am looking down and just like we just looked at, I see and I know And I hear the groanings of my people, Israel, and I am sending you back to bring them out. I am sending you back to bring them out of the bondage of slavery. And I'm sending you to the Pharaoh of Egypt and you are going to tell him, let my people go. But I think it's so interesting. I I think, okay, Moses is standing here and he's looking at a burning bush that is on fire and yet not being consumed. 
And God is speaking to him out of that bush. And God says to him, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. But then Moses does something that I find so fascinating. And I honestly, I don't really get my mind around it because he says, I understand that you're the God of my fathers, but when I get back to them and I say that you've sent me, they're going to ask me, what is your name? And God, I need to know when I go back there, what do I tell them? What is your name? Verse 13 says, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. I am. You know, I'm not a very philosophical thinker. (laughs) And so I, I kind of scratched my head when I, Sometimes when I, when I think about this, this name of God, I am. I am who I am. And I, and I was thinking, you know, what, what does that really mean? What does it mean that God, when God says, I am has sent me to you? And I, so I looked up one of my, my very favorite I would call him a mentor, even though I've never met him before. One of my favorite pastors and preachers is John Piper. And and I say that about him because I've learned so much from him over the years. And so I, I, I looked up what, what he had to say about this, what he had to say, because he is a philosophical thinker. And I love that about him because I am not. And so I looked up what he had to say about God saying, I am who I am. And one of the things it says, he said, he said, the name of God is is not just a name, but it is packed with who he is and what he intends to do. And that he chooses a name for himself for, for the sake of revealing something about himself. He teaches about himself by the names that he chooses for himself. And about this name, John Piper said this. When God says, I am who I am, this means he never had a beginning. He will never end. He is absolute reality. He is utterly independent. He is absolutely constant. He is the absolute standard of truth and he does whatever he pleases. So Moses asks him, what is your name? And he says, I am. And let me say, the whole earth is mine and I do as I please. 
and he is about to show the world, not just the Egyptians, not just the Israelites, but the entire world that he is the king of glory. And the king of glory is I am who I am. So Moses returns to the people of Israel and he says, I am has sent me to you to set you free. And he goes to Pharaoh and he says, I am has sent me to you to let my people go. But God had told Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Look what he says in chapter three, verse 19. God says, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, he will let you go. And I looked up that verse in the Hebrew. I, I love to do that because sometimes it just gives me pictures of what, of what God is really saying here. And when I saw what that word wonders meant, I was in awe because God is saying here, when he's saying, I'm about to do wonders in Egypt, he is saying that I'm about to be surpassing and absolutely extraordinary. Oh, weary soul, lift up your head. Your God is about to be surpassing and extraordinary. Just keep on rowing. So Moses did exactly what God had asked him to do. Like we said, he went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said to Moses, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Who is the Lord that I should do what he commanded me to do? I do not know the Lord. And when I read those words, that Pharaoh said, I just stopped. And I honestly, I just dropped my pencil and I thought, how could this be? How could this be that this man is so bold to look in the face of the great I am and say, no, I will not let your people go. But God is about to act. And at the end of the day, whether man wants to or not, God's will will be done on the earth. He will do as he pleases. He said, let my people go. And Pharaoh, you will let his people go. He's going to do it. God is going to do it with great acts of judgment. We're not going to look in depth at these at these different plagues i'm just going to point out a couple of things that i thought about as as i just kind of uh, read through them over and over this week the first thing god does is you know he goes to pharaoh and he says let my people go pharaoh says no who is the lord i'm not going to do it 
Pharaoh hits the Nile, the Nile turns to blood. What do I see? I see that the water molecules obey the command of my God. Second plague. Frogs. God commands the frogs. He commands the frogs to invade the land of Egypt and they obey him. Does this mean something to anybody? I know it does to me. Okay, so the first year that we lived on our property, we got more rain than we had in California in the last hundred years. There was one day that we got 12 inches of rain. It poured and poured and poured. Our entire property was flooded. But one of the outcomes of all of this rain was frogs. We had never seen nor heard frogs like this in all of our days. We have a we have a lake that during the rainy season fills up. And Derek, when the frogs came, he took his iPhone down by the lake because we were so impressed with the sound of the frogs. He said this is just this is unbelievable how many frogs and how loud the frogs are. And he turned on his iPhone and he recorded because he wanted to see the decibel level of the frogs. And it was stunning because the frogs were as as loud as you could imagine. It was the same sound, the same loudness, so to speak, as you would hear in a concert, like a U2 concert. It was that level. We had that many frogs. And we looked around, we thought, oh my goodness, we are going to be invaded and overcome because now the frogs lay eggs and the eggs turn into tadpoles. And we would look into our lake and literally it would be black with millions and millions of tadpoles. And we thought, these are going to turn into frogs. And we are literally going to be overrun with frogs. But listen to me for a second. This means something to me because I've seen a lot of frogs and the great I am, I am who I am, can speak a word and the frogs will listen because the earth is his and he does as he pleases. We didn't know what we were going to do with all those frogs, but never once did I cross my mind that I could speak to them and say, move, and they would move. But that is the power of the great I am. Gnats, flies, God commands them. He says to come and they come. He says to go and they go. He commands death. He said, I'm going to make a distinction here. All the livestock in the land of Egypt will die. The ones in the land of Israel will live. And his command is sure. Boils. 
He says, Moses, Moses, throw up some soot and the soot is going to turn into boils on the Egyptians, not on the Israelites, because our God, my God commands disease and illness. Weather. Moses said, let my people go. Pharaoh says, I will not. And God says, then it will hail. And he said, thunder and hail and fire like the world has never seen because our God commands the weather. Locusts, he commands the wind and he tells the wind, blow this way and bring with it locusts and the locusts come. Blow that way and the locusts will leave because our God commands the insects. Our God commands the wind. He does as he will. Darkness. Our God commands the sun, the moon, the stars, and the galaxy. And he says, be dark. And it will be dark. He can take care of the sun and the light and the moon because the earth is the Lord's. The earth is Yahweh's. He has no beginning. He will never end. He is absolute reality. He is utterly independent, absolutely constant, the absolute standard of truth, and he does whatever he pleases. The earth is the Lord's, and he rules over all. But let me say something. All of the world, from the smallest insect to the galaxies above, obey the command of God. There is only one creature that does not. Mankind. Psalm 53 that we read this week says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. But the greater fool, the greater fool, and I believe I speak with the Bible when I say this, the greater fool looks in the face of the I am and says, I will not bow. I will not bow down. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him? I do not know the Lord. And listen, at the end of all time, the king will sit on his glorious throne and he will gather the nations before him. And he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, because you looked into the face of the great I am and said, I will not bow down. Oh, man, be warned. God says to Pharaoh, how long will you refuse to humble yourself Before me, I am coming to you with great acts of judgment. And we all know that there is one more plague. And this time, Pharaoh will say, get out. 
because our God will have his way. Look with me in Exodus 11. I'm sorry, Exodus 12. God says to the people of Israel, tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. And I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. I am. I am. And the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Now, I'm a shepherd. I happen to have a year-old ram lamb, a year-old male lamb that the people of Israel would look at and say, he doesn't have a blemish. And they would take that lamb and they would slaughter it on the Passover and they would put it on the doorposts of their houses and the destroyer would pass over that house. It's the Passover. God would pass over that when he saw the blood. But I'm going to tell you, the blood of Atticus, my sheep, my lamb, will never cover my sin. It was just a picture. And God was painting the most beautiful picture of what he was going to do one day. He's saying a destroyer is coming. A destroyer is coming. His name is Yahweh. He will pass through the land, but he's going to be looking for something. He's going to look for the blood of the lamb. And he would pass over them. And when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him, what did he say? Behold, Look here, look everyone. That's what behold means. Look here, this is important. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Why were the Israelites enslaved all those years? Why did we find them groaning and crying out under their burden? 
It's a picture. Their slavery was cruel and oppressive. But it was no match for the taskmaster of sin that you and I battle with every day in this life. And our biggest problem is we don't even realize that we're slaves. But God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold him. Why was Jesus born in a stable? Because that's where lambs are born. Why did the angels first appear to the shepherds? Because they take care of the lambs. Why was he born in Bethlehem? Because listen, Bethlehem is six miles from Jerusalem. And in Bethlehem, the shepherds are there and they raise the sheep for the Passover. And on Passover, the shepherds bring the lambs for the slaughter to Jerusalem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem and he went to Jerusalem because he was the lamb of God. A destroyer is coming. Do you have the blood? Have you painted it over the doorframe of your life? Because if you have, the destroyer will pass over you in judgment. And the king will say to those on his right, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But don't, don't miss this. When you behold the Lamb of God, don't miss this. Don't miss that when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and they were asking him about his father, Abraham. In John eight fifty eight, he said, listen to me, O people, before Abraham was, I am. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the great I am. This Lamb of God, he never had a beginning. He will never end. He is absolute reality. He is utterly independent, absolutely constant, the absolute standard of truth. He does whatever he pleases. And it is his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's why he came. People, that's why he came. To give you the kingdom. And the kingdom is about a people. But I want to go back for a moment before I, before I continue there. I want to go back because this is so important. Because if Jesus Christ 
the Lamb of God were not the great I am, you and I would still be dead in our sins. Because only the great I am can raise from the dead. And if Jesus Christ were not the great I am, he would have remained in the grave. Who is the king of glory? Who is the king of glory? He is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he is the great I am. And let me tell you, the Pharisees knew exactly what Jesus was saying because they picked up stones to kill him. And when Judas came to betray Jesus in the garden, this is in John 18, he came with all kinds of soldiers, a whole crowd, hundreds of people came. Hundreds of soldiers, people came And they were all standing there. And Jesus said, who are you looking for? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am. I am. And when he said those two words, the power of his word caused all of them to fall to the ground, prostrate before him. Because he, Jesus Christ, is the great I am. Don't miss how far our God humbled himself to save you and to give to you his kingdom. The I am took on flesh and became the Passover lamb with great acts of judgment and an outstretched arm he came to save. And Pilate said to him, Are you a king? And Jesus said, it is for this purpose that I have come. It is for this purpose I have come into the world because I'm coming for a kingdom. And my kingdom is a people. We're going to see this. My kingdom is a people. A people who will willingly surrender. Not like Pharaoh, but a people who will willingly bow down and participate in that intimate partnership with him. I find it interesting. We, we looked at the plagues briefly and the very first plague, Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. He said, I will not. So he struck the Nile and he turned it to blood and death reigned. But when Jesus came on the scene, His first miracle was to turn water to wine. But wine represents blood. The blood of the lamb. The blood of the great I am who descended to be the lamb of God, your Passover lamb. Take off your sandals, O weary soul. For the place where you are standing is holy ground. I began this podcast in Psalm 55. And the reason I began there was 
because we were talking about the people of Israel and their groaning. And in Psalm 55, in verse 4, it says, My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling have come upon me and horror overwhelms me. And then it says this, Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find shelter from the raging wind and the tempest. I chose that verse because it matched so well with God's answer. You see, why did God, why did he do all this? Why did he come and make himself known and create a covenant with Abraham? The people are enslaved for 400 years and he's going to go and he's going to rescue them from slavery. Why did he do all of this? And the people are weary and they're crying out for, for help saying, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. But look what our God has done. Exodus 19, verse 4. Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. How I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, and keep my covenant. You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for the earth is mine. We've seen that. But listen, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The kingdom of God is about a people who will willingly surrender to him, who will obey his voice, who will keep his covenant. He says, I'm going to make you a kingdom of priests. Priests were people who were wholly consecrated to God. He wanted everybody to be one in his kingdom. But why did he do that? I bore you on eagle's Wings to bring you to myself. He wants to bring you near. He wants that intimate relationship with you where you are so close. This picture became so clear to me when we were adopting Mary Grace. When we were waiting for her, I often had a dream. Just in my mind's eye, I would dream about the moment we would bring her home. You see, Derek and I had said to ourselves, we will go get this little girl, no matter what it costs us. 
If it costs us all we have, we will go. If we lose everything, we will go. It means that much to us. We will go from here. We will travel to the other side of the world to go rescue her and bring her home. But why? Why would we do this? To bring her near. To bring her to ourselves, to draw her close and to make her our treasured possession. That's all we wanted for her. To be our little girl, to hold her close to our heart and make her our own. And I would dream in my mind as I thought of that day when I would carry her home and I would, we would walk into our home. We had this long hallway And I would bring her in and I would hold her close. And in that moment, when she's tucked up close to my heart, I could tell her, now everything I have is yours. And all that I am, I am for you. Because you are mine. God says, I bore you on eagle's wings. I did all of these things. I've shown myself to be altogether surpassing and altogether glorious and extraordinary and did all the wonders in the land of Egypt that you may know, that you may know that I am who I am and all I want is to bring you near. That's the kingdom of God. If you will obey my voice and listen to my commands, you will be my treasured possession and I will make you a kingdom. And it is my joy And he sent his son. He lowered himself to be the lamb of God, to take on the burden of sin, to draw you close and make you his own. Look with me in Revelation chapter five, because the plan of God was to make for himself a kingdom from the beginning of time to the end of time. He's creating a kingdom. And at the end of the age, the lamb of God will be exalted. And it says in Revelation chapter five, verse nine, it says this about the lamb of God. It says, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God. 
Why did he ransom the people of Israel with an outstretched arms? To make for himself a kingdom. Why did the Lamb of God come, outstretch his arms upon a cross, but to ransom a people for God? And that people for God is a kingdom of priests. And priests in the New Testament are people who had been redeemed by the blood of Christ and who gave themselves up to serve him. Colossians 1.12 says this, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. We know what the inheritance is. At the end of the age, he will say to those on his right, inherit the kingdom. The inheritance for the saints is a kingdom we were not qualified to enter in. But he has done it. He has ransomed us He has paid the payment with his blood. And listen, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. And he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That word transferred is to draw someone, to pull someone out, to rescue someone and bring them near. It implies removing someone in the midst of danger or or oppression for the purpose of bringing them to the rescuer, to bring them close because God Almighty has a purpose and his purpose is to give his people a kingdom. And the kingdom is about people who will listen to him and who will willingly surrender and he is going to draw them close. And walk with them in intimacy, just like we wanted to do with Mary Grace. Are you hungry? Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Are you thirsty? Jesus said, I am the living water. Is it dark for you right now? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Do you not know which way to go? Jesus said, I am the door. Are you dying? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Are you weary and burdened? Jesus said, I am the true vine. Abide in me. Come to me. I am all that you need. going to close with this. Turn with me to Exodus 14. You know the story. All the plagues, 
Finally, after the Passover, Pharaoh said, get out. Get out. And God brought the the people of Israel out. But then he changed his mind. Pharaoh changed his mind. And let's read, let's pick up the story in Exodus 14, verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord, the I am, will fight for you. You only have to be silent. Listen. Right where you are, you have a choice. Right where you are in the middle of the battle, are you surrounded on all sides? Are you looking behind you and seeing Pharaoh and his armies coming and looking ahead of you and seeing a great ocean, a sea that seems completely unpassable are you completely surrounded oh people hear my voice our God is all together surpassing and absolutely extraordinary and he can make a way where there seems to be no way but you have a choice. Do not dishonor our God by saying, I want to go back to Egypt. Don't do that. I want you to look that ocean square in the face and move forward. weary soul. Are you a little tired? A little overwhelmed? A little anxious? And a little too weak? Lift up your head. Remember, your God commands the universe. His name is I Am, and 
he rules over all. And he took on human flesh and became the Lamb of God to bring you to himself and to give you his kingdom. So when you are surrounded and when the road is long and the burden is too heavy, and you're groaning and crying out for rescue. Keep rowing. And march on. Lift up your heads, O people, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? He is the Lord, strong and mighty. Who is the King of glory? He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. And take off your sandals, my friend. You are standing. Holy.